Well, up until 11 days ago, the history of the 2020s could have gone in one of two directions. But then, uh, Mr. Putin gave orders to invade Ukraine, and everything changed in an instant, and actually for forever. And much ink has been spilt, much conversation has gone on about the processes, mental processes and emotions that led to one man making one decision that affects so many people. And, but the point that relates to today's passage is that up until a decision like that is made, all options are available and still remain available until the decision. And that's what we see in this uh, chapter of world history that we're looking at in, in 2 Samuel 7. We see David just about to take an action that will affect world history, and we see God intervene. And God actually corrects with a challenge from the Lord himself to, 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 to David. The passage is uh, therefore often described as one of the most important in the Bible, uh, which when, when I read that, I, I was quite surprised because I'd looked up, um, uh, as, as preachers do, um, looked up uh, other churches and sermons on, on this. I found Redeemer in New York have preached on this twice, uh, that um, All Souls Lang in Place preached on this twice. Uh, that St. James Clerkenwell has preached on this twice. I, I've done two sermons on this uh, in my time. And this is going to be the third. So actually, St. James is ahead of All Souls and Redeemer uh, in having looked at this passage three times uh, in, in recent decades. Uh, but uh, why, why is it seen as such an important passage in the Bible? Well, because the whole of how we see ourselves as the people of God, how we become part of the people of God, crucially, God's salvation plan is all started here. It's, well, it's not started here. It started right at the beginning of Genesis. But it's, it's clarified here in a very particular way. So the good news of God's salvation plan is what? It's about a king in the line of David who will come and who will be the Messiah, will bring salvation. And that plan is clarified for the first time here in 2 Samuel 7. For example, have you ever wondered why uh, Jesus, um, uh, when the angels announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, uh, they say to the shepherds, today in the city of David, a savior has been born. He is the Messiah, Christ uh, the, the Lord. They don't say um, city of David because they need to give the shepherds of postcodes put in their sat-navs to, to find the stable on, on their, their mobiles. No, they, they say that to give the shepherds a theological location point, to understand who this person is, who this baby is, to locate the, the baby in world history, in God's salvation narrative. The passage is one of, therefore, what's called the major covenant passages of the Bible that fit together. It's sort of as a, like a string of pearls, 
of these different pearls that are, are contained in the Bible narrative that give us these location points as the story unfolds of, of God's salvation history. So I'm going to do a little test. Um, and uh, so I'd like to speak to your neighbor. I don't know if you normally do this or not, but don't care, actually. Um, uh, but uh, I'd like to speak to your neighbor and see how many covenants can you remember from the Bible? Okay, how many covenants? So if you're not seeing that, some of you just have to... Um, squeezy up to someone. And uh, how many covenants can you remember in the Bible? Okay, if we can come back together. Um, okay, so shout out the number. What, what number have you got to? Five. Very good, yeah. Any other number? One and lots. Yeah, that's, that's probably a very, very good answer. Uh, at some Christmas, it reminds me, at Christmas time, um, when I was here at St. James, uh, we used to go uh, singing, carol singing around the pubs. And I used to offer a £10 note. If you, I don't know if you've ever seen a £10 note. But it's, a, it's a sort of piece of paper that you, you used to use for called money. And um, I used to offer, um, I'd go into the pub and we'd sing a carol. And then I'd say, I'll offer you £10 if you can tell me how many kings there are in the Bible in the Christmas story. And um, of course the answer is two. Um, but uh, everybody says three. Um, but the Magi weren't kings, and uh, there were only two kings, King Herod and King Jesus. Uh, so I always kept my 10 pounds. Anyway, um, yeah, five is, is an answer, um, but uh, one or loads is, is also a really, really good answer. What's the first covenant in the Bible? Adam. Yeah, see, that, that's, um, that blows the five already, if you, you include Adam. But yeah, Adam's made a promise, isn't he, that... Uh, uh, the serpent will strike your heel, but you will crush its head. And made a promise to, to Adam and Eve. Yep. What's the next one? The first official covenant. Noah. Noah. That's right. Noah. Yeah, he's made a promise, isn't he? About not, never floating the earth again. Next one? Abraham. Yep. He's uh, um, made a promise about a great nation, as many as the sand in the... In the the sea. Uh, is that right? Something like that. Um, <laughs> stars in the sky. Um, what's the next one? Moses. Moses. Yeah, given the, the law. Hmm? Oh. And what's the next one? David. Yeah, the one we're looking at tonight. And what's the last one? The new covenant. Yeah, which is explained in, in Hebrews and, and elsewhere. So the, these covenants, what is a covenant? A covenant is a special sort of promise. It's a, a promise about a, a chosen relationship uh, in which two parties, that's the key thing in a covenant, it involves two parties, make a binding promise to each other uh, to work together towards a common goal. And uh, covenants, therefore, are these key moments in, in the Bible story that stitch together God's grand narrative and uh, make 
uh, the narrative clearer and clearer and deeper and, and deeper as we, we go on. And they explain how uh, God is going to bring the promise that he makes right at the beginning that uh, one day evil will be crushed and uh, that the, the barrier between people and uh, the, the tree of life, uh, those that flashing swords that prevent us from, from living forever, that barrier will be removed and we'll one day be in a new creation earth. So the covenants are these, these grand statements and promises uh, from God. And this covenant is with David, a man, as we've looked at in this series, a man after God's own heart. But this man after God's own heart is at utmost risk at this point in the story. And that's why it's so significant that the covenant comes right now in in David's story. And why is he at utmost risk? Well, verse 1 sets the scene for the whole chapter. Verse 1, after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a a, a tent. So this is a moment of utmost heights for for David. He's established a kingdom and he is at rest. And rest is this really important word and and theme in in the Bible where we haven't just got a little bit of peace, but we've got rest from enemies so we can go out and enjoy building cities, planting plants, Uh, and uh, growing as society. And in this rest, David has this idea, well, I'll do something, therefore, for for God. Rest is um, this this idea. Um, I I was intrigued. uh, Peaky Blinders is um, the the last series is just on the BBC at the moment. And uh, the advertising strapline for the series is uh, the following. There's one last deal to be done, then the P.K. Blinders rest. And I thought it was quite interesting that BBC have accurately used a, a word um, uh, in terms of, of, of rest. But David, in his rest, the danger was he would think, I've done it. You know, I'm, I'm the success. You know, it, like um, Leonardo DiCaprio on the, the bow of the Titanic. You know, I'm king of the, the, the world. You know, uh, the, I'm, I'm, I'm great. You look at my power. It's uh, a little bit like Nebuchadnezzar, who um, was a, a king, and, and uh, he, he stands on the top of his, his palace, and he looks over and surveys his, his kingdom and says, look at me, I'm great. And at that moment, God strikes him down and he becomes uh, like an animal, dehumanized, until he looks up to to God again and acknowledges who is the actual king of of the the universe. And this fragile moment is is actually exacerbated by Nathan's response to to David. So so David says, um, I'm going to build God a a house, um, a, a temple. And Nathan says, oh, do whatever you like, which is a slightly extraordinary response, isn't it, from a prophet. But, you know, do whatever, you're such, such a great man. You know, do, do whatever you like. You can see it would feed 
that this, this danger that, that David is in. And why is um, it building a, a house for, for God such a dangerous move? Well, because in the context of the uh, Near East, of the ancient Near East of the time, that's exactly what uh, people like David would have done. So um, a, a king, a conquering king, would uh, go back to his um, capital city and he would build a temple to the gods who helped him uh, win, win the, the battles. And he would dedicate the temple to, to those gods. And basically the temple was a very physical advert to, to the king's success. And a very physical way of, of announcing the power that the king had because the gods are on my side. You can see this from the temple. You know, they, they want me to build this temple. They're on my side. It was a way of controlling and, and keeping power. Now, the Bible doesn't say that David um, was, was doing it for that reason, but that was the, the fragile danger that, that he was in. And certainly, God intervenes very suddenly and very powerfully uh, into the situation. God is, is gracious in, in this situation. In this moment of danger, it's actually the moment of greatest blessing as well. It's interesting that, isn't it? The personal danger is actually a time that God brings this turnaround of blessing. So let's look at the three parts of the turnaround from danger to blessing. And the first part is a corrected perspective. God points out that he is completely different from other gods. He shuts the door on um, David's sort of house-building ambitions and replaces it with ambitions, with blueprints that are far greater, with a far greater uh, perspective instead. So verse 3, Nathan replies to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I've moved with with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of those rulers who I'm commanded to be shepherds of my people, Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Do you see what what God is saying? He's not just saying I'm I'm different from other gods, but, but how is he different from other gods? He's different from other gods in that he dwells with his people. Do you see that? From, right from the start, God says, are you the one to build a house for me to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling, with people. I've moved, verse 7, with all the Israelites. That is who God is. He's not someone who's in a, some temple and mysterious and unknowable. Un- no, he's an incarnate God who's actually with us, alongside Emmanuel. That is, that is the God that we can know, that we can relate to, that cares about us, is with us step by, by step. And do you need evidence of that, God says? Well, look at uh, verse, verse 8, uh, God says. Uh, Tell my servant, um, 
David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people, Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. I'll provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they will have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. That is who I am. I'm a God who is with you. I chose you. When you, I, when you were just pastoring sheep, I chose you. I've equipped you. I've strengthened you. As you've, you've seen in, in the whole of this, this uh, series looking at, uh, at David's life, God has been with him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And David needs to understand that. Understand that afresh. That covenant uh, perspective of the God who is, is with them. And I, what I love about this passage is God uh, corrects and, and reminds David of uh, everything that's already happened. Um, but he, he doesn't leave it there. It's a bit like on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Um, and, uh, you know, Chris Tarrant or whoever now does it um, would, would say, okay, we, here's a check for, I don't know, 25,000 pounds or whatever but we don't want to give you that. And you rip it up and say, here's a check for 125,000. And it's almost like God is saying that. So, so yeah, I, I'm the God is with you, but there's actually far more for you to discover, David. And that's uh, where we get to the second stage of uh, God's promise to, to David. He makes this covenant uh, promise. Yes, uh, uh, David, God promises David will be with him, but also, he says, and through you, I'm going to build a dynasty of people and a kingdom that I will love as my treasured possession for all eternity. That's the wow moment in, in this passage. Suddenly, God says, I'm going to do more, far more than you can even uh, imagine. Let's look at uh, verse 11, second part of, of verse 11. The Lord declares to you, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you will rest and are over and you rest from your with your ancestors i will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood and i will establish his kingdom he is the one who will build a house for my name and i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever i will be his father his father and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken from him as I took it from, from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house, your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is forever elements that suddenly come, comes in. Uh, in, in clear um, light, this forever nature, which involves this forever love, this covenant love uh, that bounds this promise uh, to, 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 together. In Hebrew, the, um, the word house, which uh, there's so many references, uh, uses of this word um, throughout the, the passage, but the Hebrew word has two meanings, which we actually have in English as well, but um, the sort of most common one in, in English is a house is a building, 
but also a house in Hebrew is a dynasty. So we, we use that in, when we say house of Windsor or, or whatever. Um, but uh, this is a sort of play that God uses, a play on this, this word. You, know, you want to build a, a house made of stone, I want to build a house that's a dynasty that will last for, for all eternity. Get your perspective right, David. It's all about people and people who will be my possession, my, my treasured family in this world and the next. Have that perspective, just as Jesus, as we said earlier. You know, Jesus looks at the, the man lowered down in front of him and says, son, you know, I, I can see you as a person. I want you to be part of my kingdom, my treasure uh, for, for all eternity. So David, uh, is, his perspective is, is lifted from stone buildings to God's eternal uh, purposes. And God gives David, therefore, this, this huge dream. And it's a, a dream about rest that isn't just temporary rest from, from warfare. After all, if you're taking notes, uh, look at chapter 8, verse 1. So the very next verse, or chapter 10, verse 7, or chapter 11, verse 1. There are lots of battles that um, David is still going to have to fight. But ultimately, he can rest in that promise that God is the, the victor, that God is building his, his kingdom. Why is there war right now in, in Europe? Well, because many people still reject the fact that God is building a kingdom. Many people are building their own little kingdoms, their own little dynasties, their own uh, little bits of, of fame. They want to be rulers rather than submit to, to God's rule, to come into God's kingdom purposes. The shalom rest that God offers is only found when we enter into a forgiven relationship with, with, with God. So these, these people who are causing war, why are they doing that? They're doing it as direct rebellion against the, the king of the universe. And we weep as we see that. But we don't lose heart because we know God is the ruler. And God's promise is firm and steadfast. Note uh, verse, verse 12 of the, the passage. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name. When Jesus uh, begins his ministry in, in Mark's gospel, what's the first thing that Jesus says? The very first words as he announces his ministry are, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. It's no accident that Jesus uses those words. He's saying, this covenant is coming in now. I'm the one. I'm the, the flesh and blood of David. I'm in, in David's line. And I'm the one who's going to establish this, this kingdom. Verse 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. It's no accident that at Jesus' baptism, that's what God says. You are my son whom I love. Jesus 
son of David, son of God, Messiah and Savior. And as, as it goes on in that verse, when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. Seems a strange thing to, to suddenly insert. Why, why does God say that? Well, because that's exactly what the Son of God, the Son of, of David, received, isn't it? And not because he did wrong, but because he became wrong. As he took our sin onto himself, Jesus became sin. He became the wrongdoer who stood in our place. And he took the punishment that our sin deserves. He dealt with it. He absorbed it into his death with floggings inflicted by human hands a rod wielded by, by men, the Savior, the Messiah, opened the door to the kingdom for us. We were given his verdict of innocence as he took our verdict of, of guilty. My love will never be taken away. My love is what will we'll see this through. Hold on to that, David. Know this big perspective of my salvation plan, access into God's kingdom as part of, of God's people. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news, Jesus says. This is available. I paid for it. Now enter and enjoy. I was on a, a train uh, yesterday, and I overheard a guy um, talking to his friends. Uh, he was, he was um, getting married uh, in, in the summer, and he was chatting to his friends about it. And, and he said the following, which I wrote down because I thought it was so extraordinary. Um, he, he said this, my nan keeps asking if we're going to have a church wedding. So my, my ears pricked up at that point. Um, and then he said this, church is such an unnecessary thing. You have to go to sessions before, and a lot of churches aren't that nice. And I was sort of so surprised, and I was so busy writing it down accurately that I, I couldn't really think of a, of a good reply. And by the time I had, they, they left the train, uh, which was a bit, of a, a bit of a shame, but probably a relief for, for, for them. But um, that, you know, if you were in that, that situation, what would you say? You know, if we have a kingdom perspective, we just want to... Give the guy a big hug, which you can't in COVID times or in any times, actually. <laughs> Hugging strangers is never, never a good idea. Um, but, um, and to say, church isn't about uh, stuffy, silly uh, activities that you have to go through to, to get a church wedding or, or whatever. No, it's, it's about being part of God's family, being part of God's kingdom. Now, this is why Jesus came, and yet so many people are living, building their own little kingdoms and ignoring uh, the, the king of the, the universe. And that's what should cut our hearts to the core, but also should give us motivation every day, saying, I'm a kingdom person, part of the covenant. I know this, and your kingdom come on earth, Lord, as it is in heaven. That's the Lord's Prayer. That should be our daily prayer as we go in, into this world. So 
uh, a covenant uh, promise. And then thirdly, David gives a personal response. Because, of course, uh, this, amazing as it is, this um, promise by God and this correction that, that God gives is all very well. But uh, David could have said, well, that's very nice. Thanks, thanks a lot for that, that promise. And just continued living um, his, his own, own way. A covenant, actually, is between two parties. That's what we, we heard earlier in the definition. And both of us are involved, therefore, in this covenant promise. We are all involved, just as David was, in that covenant. If we uh, know the Lord Jesus is our king, then we are part of that covenant agreement uh, with, with God. I was re- reflecting... Um, on uh, how when I was at uh, college, uh, as an undergraduate in the 80s, I went to um, uh, a college in, in Moorgate, so very close to here, I did a business degree. And uh, for some strange reason, I was awarded a prize in my first year. It was called the Lloyds Bank Prize, um, because it was, funnily enough, it was sponsored by, by Lloyds Bank. And uh, to get the prize, you had to go to a meal at Lloyds Bank head office, which in those days was in Lombard Street. And uh, so I went to this oak-panelled dining room, and uh, we had a meal with all these bigwigs um, from, from the bank. And after the meal, um, one of the directors stood up and um, gave a little speech of congratulations. And then he handed me an on- envelope. And uh, at that point, I stood up. I, I took the envelope, put it in my pocket, and sat down. And uh, at that point, all of the directors around the table started laughing uh, just uncontrollably. They, they thought it was the funniest thing they'd, they'd ever seen. Um, because the, I'd taken the envelope. I was meant to, evidently, I was meant to open the envelope and, and read what was inside it. You know, you know, the prize wasn't an envelope. The prize was something inside the envelope, obviously. Uh, it was a check, if you, you were wondering what it was. Um, and um, the, I was meant to open it, receive it, say thank you very much, and then give a little speech of, of thanks or, or whatever uh, as, as a result. But I didn't do that. I just put it in my pocket and ignored it and um, was sort of waiting to, to be able to leave the room. And, and that's, that's the danger, isn't it? You know, we have this promise. Oh, I've got this covenant promise from God. Put it in my pocket. You know, I'll keep it there. I might need it when, um, when I die, you know, to present it at the border control of... Um, um, of, of heaven or, or whatever, and uh, that it'll be useful then. But no, it's a covenant. It's, a, it's an agreement. It's a partnership uh, that we're involved in together. And David shows that in his beautiful, beautiful response that he gives to the, the Lord. And I love the, the fact that um, the, this response starts with David going to, to, to God. So... Um, Verse 17, Nathan reported to to David all the words of this entire revelation. And then, this is the the amazing thing. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. He took off his royal robes, his crown or whatever. Just went in, just him, David, into the tent and sat. And just had one-to-one time with with the Lord. Talked to him face-to-face, just like Moses had just like we can, as Hebrews says, we, as we pray, we enter the throne room of grace. We speak to the Lord face to face. That's what David is doing here. That beautiful, intimate moment 
uh, with, with God. And as he pours out his, his heart to, to, to God, he has this pattern of prayer, which I think is really, really helpful for us to, to learn. It's, um, it's an OSL pattern of prayer, although um, in the new NIV translation, the O has, has got le- left out. It used to say, O Sovereign Lord, so it's OSL, but it's now SL, uh, pattern of prayer. Uh, so it's Sovereign Lord pattern. So he keeps on saying, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord, uh, as, as the beginning of, of his prayer. I'm just going to focus on three Sovereign Lord statements, and the first is in verse 18. He says, Who am I, Sovereign Lord? that's how he begins. His approach to to prayer is to begin by confessing before the the mighty Lord that he doesn't come into God's presence deserving anything. He doesn't come saying, oh, I'm I'm the big cheese around here, which everyone else would have treated David like that. No, he comes in just just in a linen cloth, just just with with the the Lord. He leaves his, his kingly robes behind and he accepts who the king is. In the coronation uh, service, the, the queen, when she was crowned, she accepts that she's just a servant and that the Lord is, is king of the universe. I don't know whether Charles will, will do the same, but that's a, a very special moment of recognizing who is boss, who is the, the king. And he recognizes that, uh, he says, who am I that, um, that you, you would even talk to me? Never mind, give me these promises. And then he includes his family in verse 18. And who is my family? None of us deserve your, your favor, and yet we have received it as a gift of grace. When we come to, to God, knowing that it's by grace that we can talk to him. It's by grace that he doesn't see our, our sin because that's been dealt with. I always think um, when talking to people about uh, faith, I say, you know, if you were to approach God in prayer, how do you think God thinks of you? And uh, if their answer is, well, I think God will think I could do better, then I say, well, then that's not the the God that actually we can encounter. The living, true, sovereign Lord is a a Lord who meets us with love and with grace. Because we, yes, we could do much, much better, but Jesus has dealt with that. So it's not like the headmaster, when when I used to go and be told to go to see the headmaster, it was normally because you'd done something naughty, wasn't it? It was rare, rare occasions you might have done something very, very good, but uh, it was normally because you'd done something bad, and you sort of stand before the headmaster on one, one, one foot, waiting for the wrath. And, um, and we think of God like that, but, but David recognized, who am I? I'm your dearly loved child. I'm, I'm here because of, of you, your, your, your grace. He acknowledges the gap, and he receives the grace. Secondly, the second um, SL prayer is in verse 22. How great you are, sovereign Lord. So he goes from confession to adoration. 
and he praises God for what he's done in redeeming his people from slavery in Egypt in verse 23 and continuing to establish his people, as he says in in verse 24. He recognizes God's kingdom-building purposes, and that's his frame for his his prayers. Not, you know, I come into God's presence and I I say, come on, God, I, I want a a new Ferrari and a new uh, girlfriend and a new job or whatever. I, mean, I don't want any of those three things. I've got a, got a wife. And um, uh, anyway, uh, sorry, this, this is not about me. Um, uh, but that's the whole point. You know, he doesn't come in demanding stuff from God. And, you know, God, like the magic genie, has says, yes, master, what's your bidding? And say, I'd like these following things, God. And he says, yes, master, and pops away and, and, and does it. No, he comes into God's presence and says, you're the, you're the boss, you're the, the sovereign Lord, and your purposes are the ones I want to serve. Getting his perspective right, getting his understanding uh, right of, of, of God. And we need to do that every day, don't we? We need a fresh understanding as we start each day thinking, has, has anything changed overnight that would indicate that God's purposes have changed? No? Well, I'll continue building his kingdom. Has anything changed that would indicate that God doesn't love me any, anymore? No? Well, I'll continue knowing his love and showing his love to, to other people. Has anything come in, to, uh, in the news that would indicate that God's future is not guaranteed anymore? No? Well, then I'll continue with hope, knowing God's kingdom is coming and the new creation world is is a certainty kept in heaven for us and is, is a hope. I love how, how David says in verse 19 that um, you, you've given me a future. You know, I, I just love that idea that his response to covenant is, I can now see this future clear, more clearly. And it's a beautiful future, a future where ultimately there will be no more pain, warfare, sin or death, a new creation earth. That is the ultimate climax of of this this promise. I love that uh, hymn. There is a hope that burns within my heart that gives me strength for every passing day, a glimpse of glory now revealed in meager part, yet drives all doubt away. I stand in Christ with sins forgiven, and Christ in me, the hope of heaven, my highest calling and my deepest joy to make his will my home. His will, my building project. His will, the, the dynasty that, uh, and the kingdom that is, is growing. David's sovereign law structure uh, therefore goes from confession to adoration and then to supplication, to asking uh, from God. And what does he ask? Well, uh, verse 29 is, is the third SL statement. Bless the house of your servant, sovereign Lord. Bless this house isn't a crocheted sort of um, thing that you put on a frame in, in the hallway of your, your house. You can do that if you, if you like. Uh, but actually, it's about blessing not just my life, but the lives of people around me, my, my household, my spheres of influence, that the dynasty that uh, I'm involved in, the friends that, that I have. My favorite um, verse, my sort of motto verse for, for life is Luke 
16, verse 9, uh, where Jesus says, Use all your resources on this earth to make friends who will welcome you into the new creation. And I, I love the fact that you know, one day we'll get to the new creation and um, I'm going to send an email around the heavenly intranet, which will be ultra-fast broadband, and um, say, you know, if you were uh, influenced and if we connected while you were on the, the old earth, I'd love to invite you to a party and we'll probably invite David uh, to come along. And um, I, I, everyone here, you're all invited to, to that party and we'll celebrate, won't we? We'll celebrate the, the kingdom that was built. You know, here at, at St. James, uh, the kingdom that was built through our lives and in our workplaces, in our, our families. All of the, the dynasty that God was building. We, we have no idea how, how great that will be, but we're going to enjoy the party, so look out for that invite uh, when, when it comes. But David's perspective is continue to bless. He doesn't take it for granted. He says, bless Bless the work that I do as I'm involved in your kingdom-building purposes, as I'm a covenant Christian involved in your covenant promises. And we need that. We, we need to do what David does and go into the throne room of grace on a regular basis and just have a heart-to-heart with God. So ask him to renew our perspective because we're, we're like David. We're, we can easily be tipped away, can't we? You know, we can make decisions, we can do things that just move us, move us uh, uh, make our hearts colder uh, to, towards God. We need to refocus on God's purposes, his kingdom perspective, have that coursing through our, our veins. I, I know that for myself. I know that, uh, you know, when I when I get filled with, with pride or sort of feelings that I can do this on, on my own, I, I, I need to come to, to God and admit my sin. As I reflect on, uh, and I have done many, many times uh, since leaving St. James, reflect on uh, 20 years here at the, the church, I reflect on many things that I did wrong many things that uh, hurt others and, and many uh, things that were, were, were failures. And, but I come to God and not only confess that, but, no, but even though I did wrong, God's purposes still remained. And your testament to, to that, sitting here to, today, God's purposes remain because purposes uh, grow. Are we dependent uh, on him? We are people who, who need to sort of be released from our self-absorption and get a kingdom mindset day by day. That's what David receives here. And that's my longing for, for us. We have a kingdom mindset about our colleagues at work, about our family, but our, our role and our ministries and all the different aspects of our, our life that we're involved in, God's purposes that are growing from day to, to day. Praise be to, to the Lord. Let's, let's pray as we, we close.
Father, we recognize that uh, who, who are we uh, that we can be so bold in, in even calling you Father? Uh, we are your forgiven children. And I pray for, for those here this, this evening who don't yet know that, uh, that welcome home that the Lord Jesus offers. And pray that uh, you will give eyes of faith and give uh, an opening of heart to receive your, your, your love, your salvation, your, your welcome into to your family. So as we pray for that, that new life, we pray that we'll be people of blessing, that uh, you'll bless the, the house of your servants here, the house of of the, the people that we're, uh, we interact with, uh, the work that we, we do, the lives we, we lead, that we'll lead those with hope in your promises, with security of your love, and with the delight that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.